If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 30. Made reference to this passage of Scripture, this particular story a little while ago. Can't remember if it was on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday night, but just wanted to go there today a little bit further and a little bit more in depth and discuss today what to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. I am certain that many of you have been in situations where, and maybe you are today for all I know, that you have been in situations where the moment has brought you to a complete stop. You have no idea what to do next. You have no idea where to turn to find answers, who to go to to help you, and what it is that you're supposed to do from this point forward. Many people, and they're sad to say, there are many people who live in so almost a constant state of being like that. I don't know what to do. Uh, we have been there in our lives, in our own personal lives. My wife and I have been there. From time to time, you come to places in your life where nothing seems to really make sense. You You think you know what it is that you're supposed to do. You think you know what it is that that you are going through it, there's a reason you understand that. We know that what it says in the New Testament, that, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. But, you know, in the end, you understand that, but you don't know what the purpose is. You don't even have a view of, of what it is that you are, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to be like. What are you supposed to do? It could be as a result of something that has happened in your life, some moment of pain, some, some letdown that has occurred. Maybe somebody has turned on you and it was not supposed to happen that way. It could be that maybe in your life there has been such emotional distress and such pain in your life that all of that has just brought you to a moment of, I just don't know what to do, I can't take it anymore. Today we're going to learn from the life of David that when we are faced with troubles like that and we have questions of why and how and when and what and all of those and they, none of them seem to have an answer what it is that we are supposed to do. Because you know what? In the end, brothers and sisters, God is always for his people. He's not against you today. I've got to tell you that for anybody who begins to think that somehow God, you know, you read in the Old Testament, God seems to always be mad. I, I don't know where people get that other than the fact that God's judgment does seem to come out in the Old Testament in a greater way because the age of grace had not entered in. It was an age of law. 
And so the judgment of God had to be visited on nations, had to be visited even on the people of God, the people that God had chosen as his own people. But you, I look in the Old Testament, I read in the Old Testament, I don't see an angry God. I see a God of mercy. I see a God of love. I see a God who is always reaching for his people to try to help them and to minister to them in such a way as to let them know that I am for you. I'm not against you. And David came into a situation that we're going to read about. And in fact, I want us to start reading Starting at verse 1, and we're going to read down through to verse 19. The Bible says this. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 19. David and his men reached Ziklag. Ziklag was a city where he had left all of their the women and children. He had gone out with these these, the band of men that he was with, they had been uh, on a particular uh, kind of a, a situation where they were fighting a battle. They came back to the city expecting to find a place that was all put together, a place that was a refuge for them, a place where their wives and their children were waiting for them. The Bible says this, they reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to be sore to the Besor Ravine, where some stayed behind, for 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued in pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins he ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, to whom do you belong and where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag. David asked, can you lead me down to this raiding party? 
He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. You can sense as you read this story the intense emotional pain that these warriors, these guys were not, you know, these guys were not just your ordinary run-of-the-mill men of the 21st century. These guys were warriors. They were fighters. And they came back to their city only to find that what they had sought to bring them comfort and bring them joy and help them to be able to rest and relax, turned into their worst nightmare. How many of you from time to time have been faced with what you believe is your worst nightmare actually coming true? I don't know about you, but from time to time in life, it seems as though our worst nightmares begin to unfold in front of our very eyes. And the question is, what is it that we are going to do. What are you going to do when trouble comes? What are you going to do when the pain of life becomes greater than what you can handle? How are you going to be able to make it through? What does the Bible tell us we are to do? I know that a lot of people will pick up the phone. They will call a friend. They'll call a loved one. They'll call a neighbor. Please, you got to help me out. You got to do something for me. I've got this problem. I get that problem. We begin to unfold our nightmare to them. And all of a sudden, as we unload our nightmare, they begin to see, wow, that really is a nightmare. And sometimes we got to be careful about how much we unload on people because there are times where when all of a sudden you begin to unload it, I have no idea what to do. Don't know. And you come away feeling like, man, I just bore my soul. I just unloaded all this stuff and I came away feeling as empty as what, you know, I went into the conversation. Why? Because a lot of times we are trusting in those who are around us who have the same kind of nonsense going on, only bundled and packaged just a little bit differently than what we got. They don't have any answers either. We're trusting in man. The Bible says, woe to those who trust in the arm of flesh. In other words, I cannot trust in what you or or even I might be able to find the answers within ourselves. We can't trust in each other in that way because we are finite beings. We don't know it all. Wouldn't you rather trust in the one who is all wise? Wouldn't you rather rather trust in the one who is all-knowing? So here's what David did, though. Now, you've got to imagine this. It's it's an incredible scene. David returns. These guys are already exhausted. They're tired. He's got about 600 men with him. 
And all of a sudden, these guys, the Bible says that they look and they see the city burned. Nobody's there. Nothing is there. Nothing that they own. It's all gone. It's been taken from them. The enemy came along and wiped them out. And they're standing there and they're all looking at each other like, wait a minute, what in the world has gone on here? And the Bible says that they wept so hard that they exhausted themselves from weeping. How many of you have ever been there? You've just been to the place where you just don't know what to do next and you exhaust yourself in tears. You could, you'd, cry, you'd cry again, but there's, there's no water left in your body to cry. No more tears can come out. You've exhausted yourself with it. You just can't seem to go on. But the Bible says that they turned and the Bible says that they, they became so bitter in spirit that they turned on their leader, David. Now, David had not become king yet. He was actually considered an outlaw by King Saul. He had been on the run by Saul and he had moved from place to place, gone from place to place and just always constantly on the run. And now here they are and they're standing there and they're thinking to themselves, why in the world did we follow this joker? You know, in the times where we read in the Old Testament where he could have taken out Saul and he could have been king by now, he chose not to. And now here we are. If this had been king, this wouldn't have happened to him. You can begin to hear a little bit of how it is that they're beginning to think and what's going on in their minds. You know, if he had only just killed Saul when he had the chance. But no, he had to go with this nonsense of, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed and, you know, all that kind of honorable integrity and here we are David look what you've gotten us into and the Bible says that they began to talk of stoning David now put yourself in David's shoes for a minute David's in the same boat that they are David's going through the same trouble they are the same kind of loss they are and all of a sudden, David is standing over here alone, and he's got his 600 men looking at him saying, David, you got us into the trouble. You know what? We're just going to take you out. Imagine for a minute how you would feel. But the Bible says that David does something so important for all of us. And I want you to get this, and this is the first thing that you were to do when you don't know what to do. The Bible lets us know that David found strength in the Lord his God. The King James says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord his God. Look at verse 6. Of, of chapter 30, the Bible says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Look at who the encourager is. He couldn't go to his friend who had been a, a close confidant, a close friend, and his Essentially, a man who would become his general over all his armies when he would become king, Joab, and say, Joab, come on, man. you got to help me out here. you got to give me some encouragement. i got nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, because it seems as though whoever was a part of the 600 was against David. David was alone. He was all by himself. Nobody was there. So who was the encourager? 
The encourager had to be David. Do you know that there are times where we have to pick ourselves up? We cannot stay down where we are, and you might not be able to find anybody to come along with you and pick you up and help you. The only one who can do it is you. Say, you don't understand what I'm going through. I may not understand what you're going through, but I understand this. I understand that the Bible says that David found strength, and we're going to see the next part of this in a moment, but David found strength. Now, where was David? David couldn't turn to a neighbor and say, you got to pray for me. I'm going through a rough time. He couldn't do that. Everybody was against him. Thank God we're in a church today. No, yeah, nobody's against each other. We can turn to one another. We can reach out to a neighbor and say, you got to help me. But you know what? When, the neighbor, when we all go home and maybe you don't know their phone number and you can't get a hold of them or they're not there or they're not picking up their phone or they're not, they're not answering emails or they're not answering texts and all of these modern day you know, communication tools that we have, who are you going to turn toward? Listen, you can call upon the name of the Lord and you can find strength in the Lord. You have to go to that place where you say, Lord, I am going to run to you now. You become the encourager when you do that. And you begin to encourage yourself. I know it's tough. I know it's hard to get to that place. But you've got to do it. Nobody else was going to do it for David. It wasn't going to be even David's, you know, operating this some kind of weird mental exercise that, you know, where he just sort of repeats to himself over and over again, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. That wasn't going to do anything for him. He had to find strength in somebody greater than himself. That's why the Bible says he found strength in the Lord his God. You're not finding strength. The, look, David did not turn within himself, and I'm going to find strength within myself. That's what the world says. That's the modern-day philosophy of self-help. You find it within yourself. This is, brothers and sisters, this is the age-old, tried and tested, true word of the Lord that says you can find strength, and yes, you might be standing alone, but you find strength in the Lord your God. The Bible says that the source of his encouragement was not David. David had nothing left. David had nobody left. Nobody was for him. Nobody was with him. Everybody was against David. They wanted to stone him and take him out. And yet David, the Bible says, found strength in the Lord his God. He went to the Lord and he said, God, I got nobody else. I have no one else right now that I can turn to. I'm going to run to you and I'm going to find in you that one who can unfold me and help me in my hour of need. Dear God, I've got to have you today because right now who am I in heaven but you I've got nobody else I got nobody else nobody understands nobody knows what I'm dealing with nobody in that moment cared about what David was feeling he was the leader which is often the case most times people don't even look and think leaders have problems it's kind of funny you know you you, I remember growing up, it's a different day now. You know, most of you know that during the week, if you see me during the week, I ain't in these clothes, you know. I'm in just your ordinary kind of, it was a different day, though, when, when I grew up. My dad was a pastor, 
And every now and then, he would see somebody, he'd be in his work clothes. And, you know, he had these, these green work clothes. You know, that, those green type of work clothes? Like what a mechanic might use in a shop, something like that. And he was out working. And, and you know, maybe it was somebody new in the church, and they'd come along, and they'd see my dad dressed in something other than a suit, and they'd say, wow, you're, you're, you look different. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm human, you know, just like you. And, you know, from time to time, we all go through it. We all stand alone. Now, David didn't go out there and say, come on, guys, you know I'm going through it too. You know, he didn't try to defend his case. And brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to, when it comes down to the trouble and the pain that we're going through, we've got to begin to act like David. If we've got to stand alone in the moment and go after God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, then let us do it. We've got to stop complaining about what everybody else is doing and how they're being mean and how they're acting and what, how they're, you know, they just seem to be against us. And we've got to get on our face before God and say, Lord, you're the source of my encouragement. You're the one who's going to help me in my trouble. I need you right now. There isn't anybody else who can help me. God, I put my trust in you. David ran to the Lord. It was in the Lord. You need to remember that. The Lord actually means supreme ruler. Or in other words, he was the one who had it all under control. If there was anybody that David should be running to, it should be the Lord. If there was anybody that you should be running to today in your trouble, in your pain, in your difficulty. It isn't your neighbor. It isn't your friend. It isn't your family member. It is the one who has it all under control. It is the Lord. He found strength in the Lord his God. That is why it's so important for the people of God to know God. Not just know about him, but get to know him. Don't just know him on a Sunday basis. Say, so, well, I'm going you know, to go to church and learn about God. Great. What are you going to do the rest of the week? Are you going to seek after God? Because the Bible lets us know that as a believer, we grow by reading the Bible, by reading the Word, getting the Word into us, and by prayer. By, by reading the Scriptures and by calling upon the Lord. And the Bible says the people who know their God will be strong and do great things, do exploits. This is not just any God. This was his God. It was his God. David didn't view God as some kind of energy some that, that sort of allowed the, the evil forces of hell to mess with his day. He didn't view God as that. David knew that God was his God. God is personal. God is a person. He is not just some mystical force. That it, and that's the modern philosophy of the age that we live in. Just sort of mystical, sort of out there. We can't really know him. Yes, you can know him. He's written a love letter to you. He has written everything that you need to know about him is right here in the book. It's right here. In, he's revealed his character. He's revealed his nature. He's revealed what he does. He, re, he has revealed how he has provided for us. He's revealed so much in the word of God. And David had already come to know God as his God. He was personal to him. You are my God. So therefore, Lord, I'm going to trust you right now to help you or to help me to find our families, 
to go and to take over this situation. I'm going to trust in you. David didn't see God as someone who would let him down. A lot of times we will point the finger at God and we'll say, why has God let all this happen to me? And when we ask that question, essentially we're blaming God. We're just pointing the finger at God as if somehow our humanity, our weak and frail and sinful humanity has absolutely nothing to do with the trouble that we have in our world. We look around in the world that we're living in and somehow we think that it's just all God's problem, God's fault. You see, David didn't point his finger at God and say, no, God, you know, you, you said through your prophet Samuel a long time ago when I was younger, you said that I was anointed to be king. He anointed me. He poured the oil over my head as a, you know, the, the sign that I'm going to be king over all Israel. And now here I am and nobody is for me. Nobody's with me. He didn't point his finger at God and blame God. But instead, he does something that is vitally, vitally important that we have to do next. And this is the second thing that you have to do when you don't know what to do. And it is this. David inquired of the Lord. Look at verse 8. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 8. The Bible says this, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. See, David could have acted out of revenge. He could have acted out of impatience. He could have acted out of anger toward those who thought it was David's fault. He could have lashed out at the men who were standing right next to him and said, what's the matter with you guys? Haven't I taken care of you? Haven't I been the man that you've, you've come to? You came to me, by the way, gentlemen. I didn't come and get you. You came to me. That's what the Bible says. All men are in one place. I love that passage. There's a, there's a sermon in there somewhere. But it says that those who were in debt and those who were misfits, essentially, is what it's saying, came to David when David was on the run from Saul. I love that. But he could have said to them, guys, you know what? You came to me. I didn't come and get you. You know, what's the matter with you? He didn't do that. He didn't act in revenge toward those who were around him. He didn't do that. And he also didn't act out of emotion in going to get the families or trying to pursue getting the families. He inquired of the Lord. He prayed over something that for many of these men probably seemed like a no-brainer. Go get them. Come on. What are we waiting for? David stopped and did not allow emotion to rule his decision-making. What he did was, is he prayed. He took time to pray, even though the common belief or the common sense of, of his militia probably was, come on, what are we waiting for? Let's go get them. Let's go pursue them. David took time to pray. There are times, and I know I'm a firm believer that God has given us common sense for a particular reason and for a purpose, that he gives us common sense 
to help us to make decisions. You know, it's not, you know, you, you drop a pen on the floor. You don't pray over whether or not to pick up the pen. You might if you're having back trouble. <laughs> or you might pray, Lord, send somebody to help me get that pen off the floor. But, you know, you don't, you, there's common sense issues in life, you know. You sit, you, you come home, you're hungry, you don't pray about, you know, eating. Your body tells you it's time to eat, so you eat. You need the fuel. It seemed as though it could have been a situation where emotion could have overrun what God wanted them to do. That emotion could have taken control of the moment. And if we allow that to happen in the darkness of our situations, brothers and sisters, we're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. David took time to pray. He let inquiring of the Lord be his first priority. Don't allow that, brothers and sisters, to be on the back burner and it's only something you do when, when life gets tough and when problems come and you don't know what else to do, then you're going to pray. No, see, David did this because he had let inquiring of the Lord become a habit in his life. It was already something that he had done. David didn't inquire of the Lord as a last ditch effort to save his neck, he had a habit of doing it. He had a habit of praying. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn over there, but in 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting and uh, the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go, go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Calah against, uh, against the Philistine forces? Now here it happens again. Once again, David inquired of the Lord. So he got the word of the Lord, then somebody else said, but we're afraid. So David went back to God, and he said, no, Lord, I've got to hear this one more time. We need, to, we need to know what you want us to do. I just told you what to do, but I'm going to tell you again. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. You need to go, and you need to save this place. You need to save that town, because the Philistines are just doing their whole Philistine bit. They're just running roughshod over everybody, stealing their food, and they're attacking. You need to go stop them. So go. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help deliver the Philistines into your hand. See, twice in one moment, David says, we're going to take time to pray. You see, whenever we are faced with struggles, and maybe you're faced with fear in the midst of your trouble, you need to take time to pray. You need to take time to call upon the name of the Lord. Here's the other thing. When you inquire the Lord, you need to expect an answer. Many of us pray as if somehow God ain't never going to touch our situation. Oh, Lord, you know, if you think you could, if you think you would, dear God, please help me. But we walk away with the doubt, oh, I doubt the Lord's going to do anything. We, the Bible tells us we got to pray in faith. We got to pray in faith. We got to pray in faith, believing that God is going to bring an answer. We've got to expect that God will 
answer. David would never have asked God for help if he hadn't learned that God answers prayer when you call on God. When God call, when you cry out to the Lord, you can expect that God will answer you. Well, how does he do it today? Well, he doesn't do it the way that he did in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament it seemed clear that he answered either verbally or through this very mystical method of this, this ephod that was a part of the whole priest priestly system. He does it in a different way now. The Holy Spirit now has been sent to this earth and sent into our lives. So now the Spirit dwells within us. And now the answer can come within your own spirit as you begin to pray. You need to begin to expect that the Spirit of God is going to answer you when you call upon the name of the Lord. Some of us don't pray because we don't think God will answer. Especially when it relates to us. It's an amazing thing. Tuesday nights, we, we've been having great, great prayer meetings. And we've been having wonderful meetings, especially we've been calling on the Lord. We've been crying out to God for, for uh, other people's situations, other, other prayers. But, you know, a lot of times it's easier to pray for somebody else than it is to pray for our own situation. Because there's always the enemy close by to say, now God's not going to do that for you. You've just been too rotten. I'm so glad that God does not answer prayer based on our, our filthy righteousness. He answers prayer based upon His grace and based upon the fact that He loves us. The Bible says that He does not look upon us as though, you know, according to what our sins deserve. He doesn't, he doesn't do that, but He answers prayer because He loves His people. You say, I've been praying for the same thing for a long time, Pastor, and the Lord hasn't answered. I'm about ready to give up. Don't give up yet. You might just be giving up right on the brink of God about ready to do something. You might be giving up at the last possible moment. You might be giving up at a time where you shouldn't be giving up. You might be giving up at a time where the enemy has been telling you, now's the time to stop. I want you to stop praying because he knows that when you pray, he knows that when you inquire the Lord, God shows up and overpowers what the enemy will try to do. He shows up and brings an answer to your dark situation and your moment in your life where you don't know what to do. God shines through the darkness and he brings help to you. The devil wants you to stop praying. God wants you to keep on believing and keep on trusting and keep on praying and don't shut it down till you see an answer. Here's the answer he got. Pursue, overtake, and succeed. I like that. Go ahead. You know, you guys have been standing here crying way too long. Look at you. You need to get up and you need to start doing something. Well, that's exactly what David did, and that's the last thing that we need to do. David engaged in action. David engaged in action. Verse 9, the Bible says, David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine where some stayed behind. You see, when you engage in action for God, there are three things that God has planned for you to do. First, it is to fight. Verse 17, the Bible says, David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. 
what a, say that's the Old Testament. They were fighting physical battles with people. We know that the New Testament teaches us something now that is quite different. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So who are we fighting? We're not fighting anybody out on the street. We're not fighting people of other religions. That's not what Christianity is all about. Under the, under the law and the Old Testament, it was important for it to happen that way. But now things have changed. In Christ, things are different. We have a new covenant, a new testament. So now what is it that we are to do? Well, Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. Jude says and told the people that he was writing to to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. But again, who are we fighting? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is, other people in the world, wherever they are in the world, whether it's in your neighborhood or on the other side of the planet, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. That's not, you know, like presidents of other countries or our own country. It's not talking about those kinds of rulers. But the Bible says against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, you are fighting a battle that is more intense and more powerful than any battle David ever fought. You are fighting a spiritual battle. The enemy's choice is to take you out. The enemy's choice is to rob from you, to steal from you, to plunder you in much the same way as the Amalekites plundered Ziklag and burned it. He wants your soul to be a burned out hole. But I'm here to let you know today, brothers and sisters, that when you engage in action, you are saying to the enemy, you are not going to invade my life. You're not going to rob from me. You're not going to steal from me. You're not going to take anything from me. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail. Brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, the fighting that we engage in happens on our knees. You know why Tuesday night is so poorly attended even though we have great meetings? It's because the enemy wants to shut you up. And for many, he wants to keep you home so that you don't call on the name of the Lord. That you don't cry out to the Lord because you can't even begin to tell me that your habit of staying home on Tuesday nights gets you on the couch praying. Usually, it gets us on the couch watching. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't have to go anywhere else with that one. You know exactly what I mean. He wants to shut up prayer because he knows that's how believers engage in action. That's how we fight the battle. We're not fighting. We, you know, your coworker who is so antagonistic against you because they found out that you're a Christian, you're not fighting against them, folks. They're not your enemy. The, the, the people in your building who are always, you know, they're, they're filthy mouth, and all of a sudden they turn up the filth as soon as you're around because they know you go to church. And they crank it up a notch. And the wallpaper starts to peel whenever they speak. It just, man, it comes out. They're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. There are spiritual forces that are at work. 
to try to get you to silence yourself and not engage in action. Brothers and sisters, we have to engage in action. The Bible lets us know this, that we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then David also said, or David, Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, and pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. We have to pray and pray and pray and read the Word, get the Word in us, pray even more. And when there are those who are around us who will listen to the Word of the Lord, deliver the Word of the Lord, because it's going to be like a sword that will go into their hearts and begin to cut away the junk in their life. It'll go to the deep parts of their lives and show them where they have been wrong. Show them how they've gone away from God and how much they need Jesus. So we have to pray as never before. It seems uncommon. It seems like not the thing to do because in modern society, we don't fight battles with prayer. But that's how it is for the Christian. For the believer, you fight through prayer. You engage in action by prayer. Now I want you to see what else took place, and here's what God had planned. Verse 18, and it was this. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. Recovery. What has the enemy taken from you today? What has the devil taken from your life? Maybe he's robbed you of your joy. Maybe he's taken your peace say, well, he took my job. Well, it might be that he took your job. I don't know that. All I know this is this. I know that we serve a God who is in the recovery business. When he sent David out there, he didn't send David out there to make a fool out of David. He didn't send David out there to make him a failure. He didn't send David out there with the, the 400, 600 men, 200 had to stay behind. Another 400 went with him to actually fight the battle against the Amalekites. He didn't send those guys with him. And somehow these guys followed David, which sort of lets you know that emotion had gotten the better of them. And then they realized he's going to go after them. We're going to go too because that's where the trouble is. That's where we can recover. And you know what, brothers and sisters, when he goes into that valley and he sees everybody there out there, they're partying, they're laughing, they're having a great time. God had in mind for David to recover and not just recover a little bit. He didn't just come back with a few. He didn't just come back with a little. The Bible lets us know that he recovered everything. He recovered all. All, whatever the enemy took from you, you need to know God has in mind for you that that will be a recovery and you will recover all. Don't take no for an answer. Don't let the enemy keep you from praying, keep you from engaging in action. But you begin to call upon the name of the Lord like nothing in your life. Nothing else depends on it. You cry out to God and say, God, I am out for recovery today. I am going to recover what it is the enemy has stolen from me because your word lets me know that David recovered all. I will recover all. could be you lost your dignity because of sin. Maybe you've lost peace. Maybe you've lost a zeal for the lost. Maybe it is the enemy has robbed a loved one from your family. 
and has taken that loved one and now that loved one wants nothing to do with you and they're out doing their own thing. They're out in the world. They're out living the way that they want to live, do they, whatever it is that they want to do. Maybe they've robbed you of that. Maybe he's, the enemy has robbed you of the assurance of salvation. Maybe he's robbed you of the fire that once burned in you for the Lord. You need to know that God's power is greater, that God is able to come down and help you to recover that which the enemy has taken but brothers and sisters we can't sit by and just sort of wait for it to drop in our laps no 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 David had to engage in action you've got to engage in action and we've got to call upon the Lord and see it take place here's what happened God also had in mind for them that they would bring it back the Bible says in verse 19 nothing was missing young or old boy or girl plunder or anything else that had been taken, David brought everything back. It is God's intention for these things simply to be found or not God's intention for these things simply to be found or noticed, but it is God's intention for you to bring them back, to take back what the enemy has stolen. God's intention is for you to bring those things back into your life, whatever the enemy has robbed you from robbed you of, you need to know that God will help you. The Bible says in verses 18 and 19, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. The result of David's faithfulness to God was that they recovered everything the enemy had taken. Brothers and sisters, you cannot take just a little bit for an answer. Well, I got a little bit of this. No, no, no. We need to believe God for greater things, for bigger things, and believe that God is going to teach us to encourage ourselves in the Lord, teach us to inquire of the Lord, and teach us to engage in action. Those three things, they're very basic. But when you don't know what to do, that is what you do. When you don't know how to deal with with the moment of your life that has caused you to just be frozen, not knowing what step to take next. It's very simple. It's very basic. But I want you to know that God will help you in that moment. Can we bow our heads?